Hi, Scott and John here. Yeah, folks, the world is fast approaching the end game, and we are trying to expose the upcoming deception before time runs out. We want to make this a full-time goal, and we need your support to fight the satanic global elite. So here's how you can help. Subscribe to the new Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast to listen to every episode ad-free. Plus, get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to a new community forum. Sure. So just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com or you can click the uh, link in the show notes to get started today. Thanks again. Bible Mysteries. You're listening to episode number six, The Nephilim, part two. What if there are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know? Are you ready to take the red pill? And now, here are your hosts, Scott and Zena. Well, hello and welcome to Bible Mysteries. My name is Scott and I am here with Zena. And we are going to talk about the secret things in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know about. Are you ready to take the red pill? I am. Excellent. Well, you might recall last week we were talking about the giants. We were. Yes, and we learned a lot of interesting things about them. We're going to continue that study, but I've got some exciting news today. Next week, we're going to do a part three about the giants. Uh, we call them the Nephilim. That's the word in the Bible. And there is an excellent book. Remember I mentioned the book last week, Judgment of the Nephilim? Yes. Okay, that's uh, author Ryan Peterson. Ryan has agreed to come on our show. We're going to interview him next week. Isn't that exciting? Very exciting. I'm very grateful to him for his time. And so we're going to go ahead and get started and hopefully learn a little bit more information to set the stage for Ryan's visit. So let's start in the book of Genesis, chapter 6. Six again. You'll remember we talked about this last week. We talked a lot about those angels, those fallen angels, the sons of God, how they came and took the daughters of men to wife, right? Well, back in Genesis chapter 6, it says there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children unto them. The same became mighty men which were full of men of renown. So people think of giants as like mythological legends and whatever. Yeah. But now we know there really were giants on the earth, according to the Bible, and they were the hybrid offspring of human women and fallen angels. My goodness. Can you imagine? And so as it turns out, there's very little said in that passage about it other than the fact that it happened. But when we look at other scriptures and other resources and other historical references, we're going to find out a lot more information just like we did last week. So let's dive in. And we're going to start with the book of Enoch. Now, Zena, you recall I was telling you that the book of Enoch is considered... Uh, apocryphal scripture, which means it's of doubtful origin. Yeah. Uh, and we think that there's a possibility that the man Enoch was a real person in the mm -hmm. Bible. And in fact, he was the first person that the Bible says walked with God and God took him. He didn't die. He actually went up to heaven uh, through what we would consider to be a type of what Christians call the rapture. Okay. Okay. So he's probably a type of the rapture because God took him out of the world before the wrath of the flood of Noah came on the earth. That's true. And the Christians today, we believe that the rapture is going to deliver us from the wrath to come, mm -hmm. the final wrath. So Enoch was a real person that lived, and he is even quoted in the Bible a couple of places in Second Peter and the book of Jude. But the book that he wrote supposedly is not verifiable. There's some information in it that we can't describe as being 
totally accurate and in one accord with the scripture. So while it's historically significant, it wasn't considered part of the canon of scripture. Now, why is that? I think because at some point when the canon of scripture, and the word canon is like another word for ruler, they measured all the extant manuscripts of books and they said, does this measure up and does it all agree? Things in there did not agree. For example, one of the things, and we'll ask Ryan Peterson about this when he comes on the show next week. Okay. One of the things he mentioned is that in the book of Enoch, it says when these angels came down to take the daughters of men in Genesis 6, that they descended upon a mountain called Mount Hermon. And yet there's no reference in the Bible that they went to a mountain at all. And over and over again, he shows that when angels appeared to men in the Bible, it was usually by a river not a mountain. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to ask him about the river thing and maybe is that some sort of a conduit for angels or something like that. But he does cite uh, references in his book to the book of Enoch as well because of its historical significance. And he says there's a, from chapter seven of the book of Enoch, starting at about verse one, it looks very similar to what Genesis six says. We read here, and all the other, uh, all the others together with them took unto themselves wives. And he was talking about what Enoch calls the watchers, the watchers, which were those angels. Okay. The watchers, all the others together with them of the watchers took unto themselves wives of the daughters of men, and each chose for himself one. And they began to go in unto them and to defile themselves with them. And they taught them charms and enchantments and the cutting of roots and made them acquainted with plants like pharmacology, right? Yeah. (laughs) Like drugs. And they became pregnant and they bare great giants whose height was 3,000 L's. Now that's another one of those things that I'm not sure I can buy because an L is like a shortened, it comes from another word, but it's a Nordic word. And it's actually the word cubit. And a cubit in the Bible was a measure from the tip of the elbow, from the elbow to the tip of the middle finger about 18 inches on an average man. Well, 3,000 cubits is, it's Godzilla size. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not sure I believe that they were 3,000 L's. I know they were big, but that's How pretty... How big do you think they were? There's evidence, and I was thinking about this the other day, you know, there's evidence that the giants uh, in the days of Noah were bigger than the giants later after the flood that appeared in the land of Canaan. And remember we talked about those giants that Joshua and the children of Israel conquered. Yes. We're going to talk about some of those today. We're going to see their sizes. Okay. And they're looking like they were averaging between 12 to 15 feet tall. My goodness. So the indication is the giants before the flood were even bigger than that. And some people seem to think possibly 30 feet tall. Yeah. And then, so you would have to ask yourself, why do you think they would be so much taller before the flood than after the flood, right? Do you think like they were missing some sort of super giant gene? That's a possibility. In fact, it's, it's probably likely and even tied more into that. I thought of this. So remember we talked about the longevity of man and like Adam lived 930 years. Yeah. And prior to the flood of Noah, men lived upwards of six, seven, eight hundred years. Now, not all animals do this, but my understanding is reptiles never stop growing their entire lives. Why is that? Uh, It's something about the way their genetics are. Okay. So like a crocodile can get gigantic, but when you see one that's really big, he's like 50 years old. 
Okay. Right? So a snake is the same way. They never stop growing. And as long as they're not hindered by a natural cause, like a predator kills them or something, a man shoots an alligator or whatever, then they're going to be as big as they can grow to be. Okay. Now we reach a peak as human beings, <laughs> yeah. 18, 20 years old, you're about as tall as you're going to get, right? But what if giants, because of that supernatural element to their DNA, uh-huh. because of the fallen angels, were like reptiles in that the longer they lived, the bigger they got? I could see that. Right? And then after the flood of Noah, the longevity of man reduced dramatically, you know? Yeah. Abraham, I think, lived maybe one of the longest years after the flood, and it was something around 125 years, maybe. Maybe 130. That's still very long. Still a long time. And yet after that, the average age of a man even today is still between 70 to 90 years, Mm -hmm. you know, 80 if we're lucky and that kind of thing. So I can think that maybe the giants didn't get as big because number one, they were being hunted by (laughs) men to get rid of them. And number two, they didn't have the longevity because of the diluting of the genetics, almost exactly what you were saying. Okay, but what I'm really fascinated about this passage in the book of Enoch is while it's mirroring what Genesis says, Mm -hmm. it's adding some information that's kind of interesting. We have to take some of it with a grain of salt, like the 3000 L's sounds crazy. That's so big. It's like the size of a giant building. Yeah, but they taught them charms and enchantments. And you'll remember that when the serpent appeared to Eve in the garden, He promised her, if you do this, eat the fruit, Uh you'll be like gods, knowing good and evil. Yeah. There was a secret occult knowledge she wanted. And Satan has been doing that ever since. His, His thing is, you don't need God for any wisdom. I've got wisdom for you. I bring the light. I'm Lucifer, right? So man is always being promised this power, this glory, this wisdom through the illuminated course of Satan, right? Illuminati, right? So it seems to be that the angels, when they came down to take the daughters of men, were offering in exchange secret knowledge. And as a matter of fact, another thing that Ryan talks about in his book, The Judgment of the Nephilim, is he even goes to prove who the first woman was that ever married an angel. Do you know who it was? I do, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> no, actually, I don't mind saying the name. And it's it's one of the strange things in the Bible that mentions the name. Women's names aren't often mentioned in the Bible, you know, other than to maybe say she was the wife of somebody that's mm-hmm. important in a genealogical sense. You, oftentimes, the genealogy will go through the males. And so-and-so begat so-and-so. Uh-huh. And he begat him, and his son was him. And the women are usually left out of the genealogy, except for one, and her name was Naama. Ooh, I like that name. You know what that name means in Hebrew? I do not. It means beautiful. Ooh, and Naama. And it came to pass that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair. And what he talks about is the fact that Naama was literally named beautiful or fair, and she was the brother of some and cousin of some men that ended up being the beginning people that had an explosion of knowledge how to work in metals how to create war weapons and how to produce cattle in a in a way that allows people to sell them for merchandise you know more productive yeah and that seems to be the secret knowledge so he posits the idea that when they came down they said hey you give us the knowledge we'll give you our sister and she became the first. Oh, that is horrible. And interestingly enough, 
that genealogy that goes from Cain, the brother of Abel, to Naama stops right there, and it continues no further. Another indication that because the angels got involved in the bloodline and God wasn't about to record a satanic bloodline. Yeah. You know? So I'll, I'll ask him questions about that. That's one of the things I, <laughs> that is I, very interesting. I want to dig more into. When we get to the verse 2 of Enoch chapter 7, it says, And they became pregnant, they bare great giants, whose height was 3,000 L's, probably not. But watch verse 3, Who consumed all the acquisitions of men. And when men could no longer sustain them, the giants turned against them and devoured mankind. So Enoch is teaching in this book, whether it's true or not, that the giants began to eat men. And at that point, men had to do something, you know. Uh, and they, it also says in verse 5, they began to sin against birds and beasts and reptiles and fish and to devour one another's flesh and drink the blood. Then the earth laid accusation against the lawless ones. Isn't that wild? That is. So it seems to be that not only were they infiltrating the bloodline of man, but remember when I told you about the flood of Noah that he said all flesh had corrupted his way on the earth? Mm-hmm. Well, not only did Noah and his family get on the ark, but who else got on the ark? The animals. The animals. Why do you think God wanted one of every kind of animal? So that they can uh, repopulate. Right. I should have said two of every kind. Male, <laughs> male and female. One wasn't going to cut it, right? <laughs> so two of every kind of animal, and the indication would be they were messing with their DNA. DNA, excuse me. So I think the angels had some sort of a genetic manipulation knowledge. That these fallen angels not only knew, once they procreated with women and found that they could make giants, they thought, why stop there? What if we could come in here and take our wisdom and fiddle around with God's genetic coding of animals? So they were just getting greedy. Greedy. But it kind of makes you wonder about today we are making test tube lambs and test tube pigs. And, right. You know? So I just kind of wonder, where's that knowledge coming from? It's not coming from me. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Now, when we go to chapter 8 of the book of Enoch, we actually get some names of these angels. We don't know if they truly were named that. Okay. We do have some angels' names in the Bible. We know Michael is an angel. Mm-hmm. We know Gabriel is an angel. Okay, And there's something called the angel of the Lord who appears several times in the Bible, and he's actually, uh, theoretically, and it looks like by the scriptures it's true, the angel that represents Jesus Christ. So Christ himself can appear and his angel can appear and does in the Bible. In fact, it's his angel that appears to John when he writes the book of Revelation. And it would also uh, stand to reason that it's possible that the angel of the Lord was the one that might have been like in the burning bush talking to Moses. Okay. Okay. Because he speaks as though he's God even though Moses was just looking at a burning bush. Mm-hmm. I mean, God's not a burning bush, right? But, no. he, but something was there to say, I am the great I am. So it could be the voice of God through his angel, if that makes sense. But anyway, we come upon a name here in the book of Enoch, and it's one of those fallen angels whose name is Azazel. And if you ever look at E-L at the end of a name, L, L is the name of God in Hebrew. It's short for Elohim. Elohim is God. Okay, and so the Elohim can be both singular and plural. It can be all the gods, the Elohim, or it could be Benai Elohim, like God of of the heavens or something. Okay, and uh, so Azael means something of God. So Michael, Mikael, is uh, the uh, something of God. I used to know what that that name meant. I'll have to go back and edit that in (laughs) Uh, because it meant something or Israel, blessed of God. Okay, you know, Gabriel, Gabriel. Something of God. 
So it always means of God, you know. So now you know a little, a little Hebrew. Now, yeah. <laughs> right? So Azazel taught men to make swords and knives and shields and breastplates and made known to them the metals of the earth and the art of working them and bracelets and ornaments and the use of antimony or antimony, depending on which country you're from, mm-hmm. and the beautifying of the eyelids and all kinds of costly stones and all coloring teachers. It looks like angels taught women to wear makeup. No way. Yeah, which is not to say makeup is a bad thing, <laughs> but the indication was probably they were trying to use them. And because what we're going to find out is almost all idolatry of pagan origins throughout the scriptures and even throughout history mm-hmm. revolved around a sexual practice of worshiping idols. And priests and priestesses of the idols' temples were prostitutes. So you think about a prostitute wearing too much makeup or Whatever. Yeah. You know? uh, that's essentially where that comes from. The idea is it was, it was a satanically taught thing, you know? So people don't realize that, but people just didn't bow down and worship, uh, you know, like Artemis or Venus or Ishtar or Isis. Mm-hmm. Uh, they worship them, but they worship them through a, a process. And the literal word is fornication. Fornication, the root of the word in Greek is porneo. It's the word pornography. Right? That is so crazy. Right. So in, in essence, it's not just an illicit sexual practice that people want to say. In reality, in the Bible, if a man had a relationship with a woman outside of marriage, people today call that fornication. Yeah. Technically, that's not correct. It would be adultery. Okay. And you think, well, wait a minute. They weren't married. Well, back in these days, marriages were a betrothed arrangement. So, like, you would might not have had any choice. When you were born, you were a little baby. Your dad became friends with his buddy, and his buddy has a son who's your age, and y'all think, they're going to get married. Let's make an arrangement now. So you wouldn't have had a choice. In the How'd <laughs> That's you like horrible. That? <laughs> so many, many cultures, even today, kind of do that still. Like in India, that's sometimes... That is very true. So it's a very old tradition. So it looks like that was probably the way it originally was. Mm -hmm. Now, don't think that meant women had no rights because actually when you had that, you had a lot of power because you could say, not if he wants to be mine, he has to do this, this, and this. He's got to make a million dollars before I'll marry him. And you had the right to sort of say that, you know. So yeah, there was a lot of power there. (laughs) So there was a lot of bargaining. It was really a financial transaction when you think about it. You know, because your your thinking would have been, and you would write to do so as a woman. Listen, I'm worth a lot. Yeah. So if you want me, you've got to prove yourself. You know, and even though the father made the arrangements, they have to. You had to say so in the matter. You know, so it's really interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, very interesting. And many times, some wars were fought over this. You know, because a woman could could say, uh-uh, not going to do it unless, and whatever fell out because of that sometimes resulted in wars, like Helen of Troy. My goodness. So it's really interesting how the history of mankind and marriage worked. And it's odd, too, to think that it's because God ordained marriage in the beginning between a man and a woman, and they were supposed to be one flesh. Two people, one flesh. Yeah. So when polygamy was introduced, we're going to find out the first one that ever did that was one of the sons of Cain, and he happens to be the father of Naamah. He became the first bigamist. It's crazy how that all ties together. It really is. So there's so much of the stuff sort of hidden in the Bible. You have to dig to find it, you know. And another reason why we're spending so many episodes, three episodes on the giants, because so much of this ties back into them and what they were doing.
So then we come to verse 2. We've talked about the makeup and the, and the making of weapons. It says, and there arose much godlessness, and they committed fornication. Remember, we talked about that. Yeah. And they were led astray and became corrupt in all their ways. Simjaza, another of the fallen angels' names, taught enchantments and root cuttings. Amaros, the resolving of enchantments. Barakajal taught astrology, which is not astronomy, mind you. Astronomy is the, the study of stars. Astrology is the study of the constellation Zodiac. Oh. The Zodiac is a perverted satanic thing. And what a lot of people don't know is when you think of the 12 signs of the Zodiac, like Capricorn, Aquarius, Leo, yeah. that's an adulterated satanic version of God's actual constellations. What's really interesting, I bet you didn't know this, the Zodiac is a circle in the heavens of okay. star constellations, and it's an elliptical, it's called, and it's slightly askew from the Earth's rotation. There is an, another elliptical that's perfectly in line with the center of the Earth, and it goes around, and in the Bible, it's called the Maseroth, and it's Hebrew, and those 12 constellations all point to something about Jesus Christ in prophecy. Like Virgo is the virgin. Well, it's a, it's a mess up of what should be the virgin with a child, which is Mary. I did not know that. And Drago is one of their constellations. And there's a man with his foot on the head of a serpent. And remember we read about the seed of the woman who would bruise the head of the serpent? Yes. All of that prophecy is in the starry heavens. And in Psalm chapter 19, the Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. And their, their line is stretched upon the heavens. It's almost as like before God had written down his words, men could look up in the stars and read what was coming. It's a really fascinating thought. That is super fascinating. It's a beautiful passage. I recommend anybody reading Psalm 19 and looking at this beautiful picture because it even talks about the sun rising, coming out as a bridegroom out of his chamber. And Jesus Christ is called the bridegroom and the son, S-U-N, of righteousness. Okay. So there's interesting ties in about the Old Testament to the man, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. It's really fascinating. Uh, there's another man here, Cochabel, the constellations, apparently another one of the fallen angels. Ezekiel, the knowledge of the clouds. Arachiel, the signs of the earth. Shamziel, the signs of the sun. And Sariel, the course of the moon. So we have no idea if those angels were truly named these names. Okay. But Enoch, or this book of Enoch, says there's who they were, and that's what they taught men. So they had secret knowledge. Now, they, I believe it's possible that this could be true, because remember I mentioned the Maseroth? Yes. There's another mention, I think it's mentioned in the book of Job. And there's another mention of something in the book of Job. It's constellations called Orion and the Pleiades, or Pleiades. <clears throat> They weren't discovered until 16-something when the telescope was invented. So how could men back then know they were there if they couldn't see them? That's very to true. To write about them. Yeah. So that had to be secret knowledge that God could give them. So God would know that. Then it's possible some of these fallen angels knew that before yeah. they fell. And because they can travel the heavens and they saw the stars and they would tell men, oh, by the way, we're some gods that reside in the Orion belt or something like that. <laughs> and I think in Men in Black, one of the episodes had Orion's belt. Yeah. You know? Uh, so the last verse of that section of the book of Enoch chapter 8 says, And as men perished, they cried, and their cry went up to heaven. So everything we know about the giants from both the Bible and the book of Enoch seems to indicate that they did horrible things, taught men things, 
all to be in rebellion against God and all to be a part of a system that looks like they essentially controlled the earth, they had dominion over the earth, and man was given dominion of the earth. <clears throat> so now these hybrid giants have dominion of the earth. Oh, they're just still in everything. Yeah. And so you can see why God would say in the book of Genesis that all flesh had corrupted his way on the earth and he wanted to destroy man. He repented and that he made man. And so he killed everything, the animals, the plants, all the men except for the people that got on the ark and the animals that got on the ark. Now, we go to Enoch chapter 16 to read something. It says, Now the giants who are produced from the spirits of flesh shall be called evil spirits upon the earth, and on the earth shall be their dwelling. Evil spirits have proceeded from their bodies, because they are born from men and from the holy watchers. And holy watchers means angels, another term for angels. <clears throat> Again, for the book of Enoch to call them holy when they've been fallen yeah. seems a little bit of a, of a typo type thing. So okay. that's why the accuracy wasn't considered pro appropriate for Scripture. Okay, so they would be called the watchers. Then. The watchers, yeah. Okay. And even in the Bible, in the book of Daniel, there's a pagan king of Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar, and he calls angels the watchers. Okay. So it seems to be a term that the pagans use for a spiritual realm of individuals that they would have also called in Hebrew Elohim, the gods. Okay. The watchers or the fallen angels. So in this chapter 16, the book of Enoch is saying that because the giants were produced from both the watcher angels and the human women, they are evil spirits within them. Okay. So it's almost like the angel DNA made the worst part of man a thousand times worse. Oh, that's yeah. just wonderful. Yeah. So if man already had sin in him, the sin nature was amplified by the angel DNA of the fallen. The My fallen goodness. It says, because they are born from men and from the holy watchers as their beginning and primal origin, they shall be evil spirits on earth, and evil spirits shall they be called. As for the spirits of heaven, and heaven shall be their dwelling. So the angels that haven't left that estate to marry women are still fallen angels, but they're in the spiritual realm. Okay. But the giants were these hybrids, and they died in the flood. They perished in the flood of Noah, so they became the disembodied spirits and hence the term demons or evil spirits. Now you know where they came from. So demons are the giants. Are the spirits of the giants. Hi, we hope you're enjoying the podcast, but I want to take a moment to remind you of something very important. There are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. And the world is fast approaching the end game. And we want to expose the coming deception before time runs out. Freedom of speech is under attack, and evil elements within governments and multinational corporations are trying to prevent you from learning the truth. Scott and I are being censored by social media platforms as we speak. This is true, so you can help us use the satanic global elite's own tools against them. Subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast so the controlled media can't shut us down. We can use our own platforms to help expose them and keep you informed, but to do that, we need your support. Help us to go full-time with Bible Mysteries. Just $7 a month gives you every current episode ad-free without these annoying appeals. You also get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to the community forum where we answer your questions. Just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to help us stop the assault on Christianity and free speech. And don't forget, you can always donate any amount to support us at utbnow.com. 
These gifts are tax deductible. Thanks again, and here's the show. You can see why they're so evil, right? (laughs) Right. As for the spirits of heaven, in heaven shall be their dwelling. But as for the spirits of the earth, which were born upon the earth, on the earth shall be their dwelling. So demoniac spirits or evil spirits can't leave the earth. And that's why Christ encounters them uh, in a number of occasions in his ministry in Israel. And in one instance, a man was possessed with a legion of demons. And he was going to cast them out. And they begged him to cast him into a herd of swine. And so Jesus cast the devils out of a man. They went into a herd of swine, and the swine ran off a cliff and drowned in the ocean or the lake at that place. And they begged him to do that. So why did they want to go if they were going to go kill themselves? Yeah. And it must be that they need to occupy a body or they desire to occupy a body of some kind. Why they went and drowned themselves, I have no idea. But Do you think they, like, yeah. occupy objects? I, You know, that's a good question, like something is possessed in a house. Yeah. You know? I think there's a possibility that could be because there's so much in the supernatural world that we don't understand. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I can say this. I don't believe in something called a ghost. Okay. If there is something that is haunting a house or haunting an object or a person, I would say it's an evil spirit. Okay. Now, they could imitate a dead person so that you think it's their ghost, but it would be a false representation of that person. Okay. You know, And so my, my thinking would be a ghost is a deception of a demoniac spirit pretending to be a dead person. Okay. Okay. There's only one instance where an actual dead person came back from the dead to speak to a living person, and it was actually a prophet named Samuel who was conjured up by a witch to talk to King Saul. And God only allowed it to show him that he's about to die for doing that. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) We'll talk about that passage in the book of First and Second Kings there. All right. Now it says, and the spirits of the giants afflict, oppress, destroy, attack. Do they take no food or they do take no food, but nevertheless hunger and thirst and cause offenses. And these spirits shall rise up against the children of men and against the women because they have proceeded from them. So now we know why demoniac spirits are contrary to men, adversarial to men and things like that, if this book is true. And we see in the Bible that they do appear and they are adversarial to men. So all we're learning from this historical reference of the book of Enoch is where they possibly could have come from. The Bible doesn't tell us specifically, but it seems to match everything that happened. They were giants. They were evil on the earth to men. They died in the flood. Their disembodied spirits were part angel, part men. So they didn't just go to hell like a a man. They seemed to roam the earth as a disembodied spirit. And here we are about to have Halloween, right? (laughs) They're going to be all out partying. That's right. Now, you'll remember also last week we talked about after the flood of Noah, when they all did die, Noah had three sons. Yes. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. They always list them in that order, and yet the elder was Japheth. But he's always listed last. (laughs) But interestingly enough, Ham was the one that did something bad, and so Noah cursed his son, Canaan. Yes. So Canaan became a cursed individual, uh, and we don't know exactly why until we stop to think about the fact that the giants all ended up in the land of Canaan much later. So one of the things that we'll also ask Ryan is how to explain how it's possible that through the bloodline of Ham's wife, angel DNA or giant DNA Mm -hmm. transferred from the ark to the next generation of humans. 
right? Yeah. And so we think that the fact that Canaan was cursed is because even if he was young, we could already tell he was he was like Shaq size. Yeah, he was a big guy. <laughs> he was Shaquille O'Neal when he was four. <laughs> you know? So that's why he said, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren in Genesis 9. In fact, uh, let's read a little more of Genesis 9 just to be uh, clear on the context. Verse 20 says, And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine, and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, you you wouldn't be known as Zena, the father of someone, or the mother (laughs) of someone, right? right? Unless you had a child. Very true. And if your child was like the president of the United States, we would say, this is Zena, the mother of the president, you know? (laughs) That would be a good thing. But if we said, this is Zena, the mother of Hitler... You know, that's like, oh, "Oh, Lord. You messed up. That would be the worst, right? (laughs) So it seems to be that Ham, the father of Canaan, is to indicate Canaan wasn't good. No. Something bad happened. Because of what Ham later on then did, and when he woke up, Noah said, and he knew what Ham had done to him. Verse 25 says, he said, cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. The idea was he would serve the other two. Well, Why? What did he do? He didn't seem to do anything. Ham, his father, was the one that made the sin. Yeah. So the only thing that we can uh, figure is it must be because he was of the giant's lineage. He had a giant DNA in him. So Noah knew this or? Noah would have known it just by looking at him. That's right, because he was pretty tall. And the, the indication seems to be that since what Ham did to his father, Noah, seems to have been of a sexual nature... It looks like Ham had a problem. So, for example, if Ham's wife was, in fact, of the Nephilim, not that she was a giant, but it was, it was clear by looking at her that she had that DNA in her, and yet he still chose her to be a wife, then he was violating God's law to stay pure in human bloodline. Okay. Right? And yet, because he believed and he brought her on the ark, Noah honored that, and maybe she was a believer. Maybe she agreed to accept the truth of God, but it didn't change the fact that the offspring was yeah, it was corrupted. Very true. Right. So then he cursed Canaan, and he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. Canaan shall be his servant. In other words, the nephew is the servant. Okay. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. So two uncles are going to serve over Canaan. And it seems to be that it was through the descendants of Shem and Japheth that the Canaanite nations were destroyed, the giant-dwelling nations. So let's go look at those nations. Okay. All right, so go to the book of Numbers in the Bible, the book of Numbers, chapter 13. Remember we talked a little bit about Numbers, and 13 is the number of rebellion? Yes. We find a rebellious individual or group here in chapter 13 of Numbers, verse 30. It says, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are all able to overcome it. I'm going to give you a little bit of context. Moses said, you you 12 men go spy out the land of Canaan. God gave it to us. We're going to go take it. Let's go figure out the best way to attack. They come back after spying the land, and 10 of them said, we can't take these people. They're giants. We're like grasshoppers. <laughs> and Joshua and Caleb said, yeah, they're big, but God's with us. We can hate. Yeah. Can hate. So Caleb is trying to stir up the people and say, we can go in there. And he says, yeah, we're well able to overcome it and possess the land. But the men that went up with him, the other 10, said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. Another indication that they were doing cannibalism again. 
the giants eating men, Your right? Goodness. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak. Remember Anakin Skywalker? Yes. The sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Can you imagine <laughs> thinking yourself to be the size of a grasshopper to another man? Well, they were huge. They must have been huge. So we can already see some names here, the sons of Anak. Anak must have been a renowned giant who had sons that were giants, you know, and they were in the land of Canaan. We go to Deuteronomy chapter 2. Now, were there ever women that were giants? Again, they don't ever talk about women much in genealogy. There are many famous, faithful, righteous women in the Bible that did some amazing things. And they have their own stories. Ruth, um, uh, and the bad ones too, like Jezebel, right? <laughs> uh, Ruth was a faithful woman. Uh, Naomi, her mother. Uh, there was uh, the woman uh, Rahab, the harlot, who actually hid some spies and protected them. And she said, hey, I've heard that you children of Israel are going to come in and take over the land. Would you do me a favor and protect me and my family when you come back? You know? Yeah. Because she lied and hid the spies from them. And so when they came to take the city of Jericho and knock the walls down, she hung a scarlet thread out the window. And Joshua and Caleb said, don't hurt her. She's on our side. Aww. And even though she wasn't Jewish and Israeli, they protected her family because she showed faith to God. God always honors faith. That's very yeah, true. It's really interesting. So they're usually given names when they did something spectacular, but they're never usually in the genealogy. Of okay. So we know of no giants by name of women. We only know of some men. Okay. It's really interesting. And hopefully that's a good thing. You know, hopefully right? it's because there weren't enough of them <laughs> to create any mischief. So that's another advantage women have over men. <laughs> and then we read in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 9, and the Lord said unto me, Distress not the Moabites, another nation that they were going to pass through to go into Canaan. He says, Distress not the Moabites, neither contend with them in battle, for I will not give thee of their land for a possession. They got their own land. You're not getting their land, right? Yeah. Uh, because I've given R unto the children of Lot for a possession. The Imims dwelt there in times past, a people great and many and tall, as the Anakims which also were accounted giants as the Anakims, but the Moabites called them Imims. So there was a group of people called Imims that were giants. So Anakims, the sons of Anak, yeah. and Imims, which might have been the sons of Im or Emi or something, <laughs> Emu. Uh, it says the, uh, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 19, um, when thou comest nigh over against the children of Ammon, uh, the Ammonites, another nation like Moab, okay? He says, distress them not, nor meddle with them, for I will not give thee of the land of the children of Ammon any possession, because I've given it unto the children of Lot for a possession. That also was accounted a land of giants. Giants dwelt therein in old time, and the Ammonites called them Zamzumins. <laughs> what a name. What a name, Zamzumins, a people great and many and tall as the Anakims. But the Lord destroyed them before them, and they succeeded them and dwelt in their stead. So what's interesting about these countries, Moab, Ammon, and Canaan, is they all border the River Jordan. Now, why is that? Well, that's one of the questions, again, I want to ask Ryan about <laughs> his theory that angels come through river. Yeah. Wells, you know? Why would the giants be settling near the Jordan River? Because they're looking for their daddies, right? 
the, the Watchers. Oh, that's so the right. Angel, the the fallen angels. So they're trying to get that secret knowledge so they can rule over men and, and have this illuminated. So ultimately what you've got is the global elite of the world are still Satan worshipers trying to get that secret knowledge from the fallen angels. It's really, they should really stop. been going on for 6,000 years, isn't it? <laughs> they should stop. Deuteronomy chapter 3 has one of the more famous giants by name. Now, we've seen names of a people of giants, Anakims, yeah. Imims, Zamzimims. Right? <laughs> Some names. But now we have a king who's a giant, and his name is Og. Og, or Og, and it's in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 8. We took at that time out of the land of the two kings of the Amorites, the land that was on the side, Jordan, from the river of Arnon unto Mount Hermon, which Hermon the Sidonians called Sirion, and the Amorites called it Shanir, all the cities of the plain, and all Gilead, and all Bashan, and all Salca, and Edrei, cities of the kingdom of Og and Bashan. For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of giants." Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. It is, is it not in Raboth of the children of Ammon? Nine cubits was the length thereof, and four cubits the breadth of it after the cubit of a man. So you think about nine cubits. So that's nine measures of this. Okay. Right? So that's roughly 18 inches. So if you're taking nine times 18, you're looking at around 13 to 15 feet long. Yeah. Why does a man need a 15 foot long bed? Because he's that tall. Because he's that big. (laughs) And four cubits wide. You know, we're talking like seven feet wide or six feet wide, right? Just for him or do you think someone else was there? Well, being a giant, who knows? (laughs) He could probably take anybody he wants to bed, you know. That's right. (laughs) And they have no choice in the matter. But assuming it's just his bed for himself, it's still a huge bed. That is a pretty big bed. Right. So Og of Bashan was one of the giants. And notice it said that he was last of the remnants. So they were being killed. It turns out that the reason why God said don't mess with the Moabites, don't mess with the Ammonites, is because he used those nations to kill more giants. They killed the Zamzamans and the Anakims and the Emims, right? And then Israel killed the other Canaanites in the land. And yeah. God used them to kill them. So the reason why, and people think, oh, God was so unfair, but they don't understand. When God said to the children of Israel, go in and kill everything that moves, children, women, men, and animal, and cattle, kill it all, it's because what did the giants do? They interbreeded, they messed with the yeah. DNA of like their dad. They did. contaminated <clears throat> it. They contaminated it all. So it was really, and he still even gave them 400 years to repent. Even those giants could have accepted God's truth and gotten redemption, but they wouldn't do it. 400 years. 400 years. From the time he told Abraham, it's going to be 400 years I'll give them before I cleanse them out of the land. And he kept calling them to repent. He sent them people to teach them, and they probably killed him and ate him. Right? Yeah. So God was very merciful, but they wouldn't listen. Extremely patient. Extremely patient. Joshua, Joshua chapter 18 says in verse 16, and the border came down to the end of the mountain that lieth before the valley of the sons of Hinnom, and which is in the valley of the giants on the north, and descended to the valley of Hinnom, to the side of Jebusi on the south, and descended to Enrogel. We don't know where these places are, I mean, other than to go look at a map and see Israel. <laughs> yeah. But I know something about the valley of Hinnom. It's called the valley of the giants, okay? Remember the jolly green giant? Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> in the valley of the giants, right? Well, maybe they were alluding to this. But we see a pretty green, fun guy that serves you green beans, right? Yeah. That's not who these giants were. 
As it turns out, what we find out is the Valley of Hinnom was where the children of Israel learned how to worship the god Moloch, and they burned their children in the fire to that god. So the giants taught them to do this. And later on, Jesus Christ referred to a place called hell in, in the New Testament. And he uses a Greek word, and it's Gehenna. And Gehenna is Greek for the Valley of Hinnom. And what happened was Jesus Christ likens hell to what they did when they burned children in the fire to Moloch. It's really fascinating how language ties in. So in other words, that would be a hell. Yeah. To burn children alive to Moloch, to worship a god. Well, the giants taught men to do that. And That's terrible. It's a reference to their just um, retribution when God finally uh, punishes them for that. In the book of First Chronicles, First Chronicles in the Bible, we're learning about books that people have never heard of before. Right. In chapter 20, verse 4, we read, And it came to pass after this that there arose war at Gezer with the Philistines, at which time Sibachai the Hushathite slew Sipei that was of the children of the giant, and they were subdued. And there was war again with the Philistines, and Elhanan, the son of Jair, slew Lami, the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, whose spear staff was like a weaver's beam. And yet again there was war at Goth, where was a man of great stature, whose fingers and toes were four and twenty, six on each hand and six on each foot. And he was also the son of the giant. So there appears to be a giant that was in this region of Philistine or the Philistia, mm -hmm. where the Philistines were, and they battled a lot with Israel. And in fact, it was the Philistian army that went up against Israel when King David, who wasn't king yet, he was just a 16-year-old boy, went up and said, I'll fight against that giant Goliath, and he killed him. That's right. So individual men at this point were killing giants on their own because God used these Jewish men to do so. And it's interesting to think that one of them had six fingers and six toes. I know. I had to look down. I was like, <laughs> make sure I only have five. <laughs> well, since you said you're not six foot tall, you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> you're so funny. I'm barely six foot tall, so I don't think I could qualify as a giant either. <laughs> and we go back to Genesis and we see this is still, uh, even though it was after the flood of Noah, we can almost begin to see the migration of giants going back into that land. So we go to chapter 14, Genesis 14, and notice verse 5. It says, And in the 14th year came Cheror Laomer, who's a king, and the kings that were with him. And these are, by the way, are kings that lived in the time of the life of Abraham. Okay. Okay. And uh, the kings that were with him, and they smote the Rephims in Ashtaroth, Carnaim, and the Zuzims in Ham, and the Imims in Shavath, Kiriathium, and the Horites in their Mount Seir upon El Paran, which is by the wilderness. Now, what's interesting is they smote Rephims and Ashtaroth and Imims. Well, we saw about the Imims. Those, we know those were some giants. Yes. So we're assuming these others are giants too. And what's interesting is. In Genesis 6, the word for giant was that word Nephilim, yes. the, the title of our podcast today, this, this episode. But this word for giants here, it, it's actually translated as giant later, but it's Rephaim. Why is that? It's another Hebrew word for giant, but it means something different. It's the word used for giant is actually Repha, which is like singular, and Rephaim, which is plural. Okay. Like a cherub is a singular, cherubim is plural. 
of this type of angel. So good question. Why is Repha a different word for giant than Nephilim? Yeah. And we come to find out with another verse. Watch this verse in the book of Isaiah chapter 26. A much later prophet in the Torah, uh, the, the Talmud rather, or the Torah, uh, and in verse uh, chapter 26, verse 12, we read, Lord, thou wilt ordain peace for us, for thou also hast wrought all our works in us. O Lord our God, other lords besides thee have had dominion over us, but by thee only will we make mention of thy name. They are dead, they shall not live. They are deceased, they shall not rise. Therefore hast thou visited and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. Now it's interesting that in this passage he's saying there's other lords that had lord over us. When he says they are dead, whoever these lords yeah. were, they are dead is the word repha. It's like he's saying there were giants that had lordship over us. They subdued us. They had power over us. You killed them. You got rid of them. They're dead. They can't do any more, any more harm. And it's like these giants are now dead and they're in the grave. They're gone. Maybe their spirits are now demons, but their Very bodies true. are dead. They're gone. They're yeah. no longer having dominion. And it's they are dead is the word Repha. So do you know if other giants tried to rule other giants? It, I would think they did if it's true what the book of Enoch said, that they even began to devour each other. I can see fighting in between them. And if you think about Greek mythology and the wars between the Titans and stuff, siblings fighting, I can see that. Yeah. I can see giants fighting against each other okay. and having wars with each other's nations and things like that. So it looks to me like the Book of Enoch gives us a little bit of insight that we have to take with a grain of salt because it's not scripture, but it does seem to give supplying information to the scripture that we see about them and how bad they were. Okay, so Lord willing, next week when we interview Ryan, we've got some interesting questions for him about his book, The Judgment of the Nephilim. I recommend anybody go check that book out. You can uh, read about him and order the book from judgmentofthenephilim.com. But Ryan Peter, uh, Peterson will be our guest next week. We're so excited about that. I hope you'll have some interesting questions for him too, Zena. I will try. <laughs> Very good. Well, then we're going to go ahead and close the podcast out today with this thought um, that the giants are no longer around today, but I do believe that the satanic angels that fathered them are still controlling men that are wicked, and they still want to lord themselves over us. They're still uh, part of a, of a globalist system that want to rule over men eventually, bringing in all control to Satan himself. Very true. That's the spiritual battle we're trying to get people to see when we talk about the material world and the cultural things that are going on around us are a distraction. It's really to take your eyes off the spiritual battle. If we can get men focused on the spiritual battle, then we can put the reality back into perspective. I agree. So I hope you've enjoyed the lesson today, and I hope you'll join us next week. Once again, we're going to be interviewing author Ryan Peterson. I hope you'll make a point to listen when this episode comes out. And thank you so much for joining us today. Zena, thank you for being here. Of course. And we will see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening today. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Bible Mysteries and share it with a friend. If you want to learn more, you can go to Unlock the Bible Now. That's utbnow.com.
Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast. You can even gift a subscription to a friend. That's right. Remember, just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to join and help us expose the satanic global elite, or make a tax-deductible donation at UTBNow.com. We need your help to fight the global censorship of the truth. Thanks for your support.